folks, and thanks for tuning in to NTI's podcast, your first and only audio source on all things related to the world's second biggest real estate property investment market, Japan. My name is Ziv Nakajima again, and today we'll dive right into what most property investors love doing the most, which is crunching numbers. But first, um, to give us an idea of why these numbers actually exist, a little bit about Japan's economy. So, as we've mentioned in our last episode, while Japan has enjoyed a brief recent uptick in uh, property prices, or at least the more popular areas in some of its biggest cities have enjoyed a brief recent uptick in property prices, over the last five years or so to be exact, this comes on the back of over two decades of deflation and declining prices. Now, there are several factors in play which may lead to this trend uh, continuing, temporarily at least. One of these factors is the current Prime Minister, Mr. Shinzo Abe, who's been running the show since 2012. That's his second stint, by the way, after a short and rather miserable one-year term between 2006 to 2007. Mr. Abe, or as he's known here, Abe-san, uh, came into power on a platform of economic reform, which for various reasons has boosted confidence in Japan's economy, both at home and abroad, coupled with some unprecedented quantitative easing, splurges, and a whole lot of rhetoric. He's actually managed to reignite a small but healthy level of inflation and GDP growth for the first time in a long time. Uh, the second factor is the up-and-coming Tokyo Olympic Games, which are due to take place here in 2020. This is naturally drawing attention to Japan overall, boosts tourism, interest in the country, and as a result also contributes to boosting the economy, or at least preventing it from slipping too far back, which in turn has an effect on property prices as well. However, and that's a big however, there are several equally strong, if not even stronger arguments that suggest that this positive trend may be only temporary and that once the buzz around the 2020 Olympics and the Abbas policies die out, definitely from 2021 and onwards, but possibly even before that, things may slow down and the economy may start shrinking again, which of course will most likely cause prices to stop rising and in the long term may cause them to fall again. Um, the first of these um, opposing forces uh, is we've also briefly discussed it previously, is Japan's rapid population decline, which works in direct opposition to economic growth, and the fact that the only two things which could conceivably reverse it are mass immigration into the country and or a sharp increase in birth rates. Now, immigration is something that the Japanese, as a rule, are quite strongly opposed to. As you might recall, we've already spoken about the fact that they're extremely foreigner shy to the point of complete panic. And the second solution, which is increasing birth rates, is problematic as well, mainly due to the fact that the Japanese are horribly overworked as a rule, which doesn't really leave much time for making babies, and also because women in Japan, who are still traditionally regarded as mainly housewives, aren't really satisfied with this role allocation, and not with relationships as a rule, and are simply refusing to fulfill this uh, baby-making machine role that's expected of them. Now, this isn't likely to change until equality, and particularly equality in the workforce, which directly translates into childcare support frameworks, something which the government is very reluctant to do much about. Until that becomes a valid option for them, that situation is not likely to change. 
Now lastly, since the Japanese are quite conservative and notoriously slow in their decision-making process and reluctant to part with their hard-earned uh, hard cash reserves, the country's larger corporations are still quite hesitant in jumping onto this um, economy expansion optimism bandwagon. And they've been very slow in reinvesting their profits in increasing salaries and the rest of the things which are all required for this reinflationary trend to trickle down to the masses. What this means is that rents, which are direct derivative of earning power, haven't risen nearly as fast as property prices have. This in turn has led to yield compression, meaning reduced returns, um, which in turn have stopped these property prices from going up or at least greatly slowed them down. So to sum this all up, while the last four years have seen some significant growth in property prices around the centers of some or most of Japan's bigger metropolitan centers, these price hikes are slowly grinding down to a halt. And generally speaking, there's still a very big question mark hovering over this entire growth trend. From an investor's perspective, however, there's opportunity in every situation. And lower property prices would almost always mean higher rental returns, just like higher property prices would mean capital gain profits. So it's really just a matter of watching the market closely, buying at the right place at the right time, as, as is really always the case with uh, property investment specifically or investment in generally. Now, these rental returns that we've mentioned previously um, can be as high as 9 to 10% net pre-tax annually in some very well-established places. Sometimes even more than that in more adventurous locations like smaller country towns, satellite cities, um, bedroom cities around the bigger cities themselves. Um, if you're going for houses as opposed to condo units, they can be even higher. But do bear in mind that older houses in Japan are basically wooden structures. And so they require far more maintenance over the course of their lifetimes. And often they'll need to be completely rebuilt over the course of 30 or 40 years. So those theoretical returns are not necessarily practically sustainable over the long term if you're dealing with houses. They are more stable and more sustainable with reinforced concrete condo units um, or concrete homes. Um, but still, as, as a property gets older, naturally there are more costs uh, involved in maintenance and repairs. So whichever yield you're buying into will, unless rents take a huge hike in the near future, is likely to slowly trickle down, but it'll do that much faster with houses. So these are the net pre-tax returns. How about true net, meaning after taxes? Taxes in Japan are actually not too bad at all compared to other countries. Uh, particularly, particularly for foreigners like us, and even more so for those among us who aren't actually living in the country. So, income tax is only charged on Japanese income. Japan doesn't care about your overseas income until you've lived here for five years or more, as long as you don't bring that income into the country, that foreign income. Even once you do start paying income tax, you're tax-free until you reach a level of about 380,000 yen net per year, which is about 3,600 US dollars at today's rates. And all of your purchase and running costs, including the cost of the investment property itself, as opposed to most other countries, are completely deductible. And these so-called tax losses can be carried forward as well. 
Uh, once you do hit that 380,000 yen mark, you start paying only 5% income tax on every yen thereafter, up to a threshold of about 17,000 US dollars at today's rates, or 1.95 million yen, at which point it goes up to 10% for every yen thereafter, and so forth. So quite a comfortable uh, threshold structure there. Now, of course, to claim all of these deductions, you will need to hire an accountant. So you do need to work out your uh, five or 10 year investment plan in advance to see what would be the most efficient and profitable way of claiming these expenses and losses, um, if at all. It might, I mean, if you're only going to be holding one or two or three smaller condo units, then it might be cheaper for you to actually pay that very small amount of income tax than to actually hire an accountant. Property tax, uh, well, property tax in Japan varies, but usually works out to be about 0.75 to 1.5% of the property purchase price. This is assuming you're purchasing properties under 200 square meters, which is usually the norm for condo units here anyway. Once you do go over that, it becomes a little bit higher. And there are also some municipal taxes, but these are usually quite low. And again, if you're a foreigner residing out of Japan, you're exempt from these as well. Now, all of the taxation information that we've discussed so far is for individual ownership of investment properties. If you are purchasing as a corporation, things can change. And it's best, again, to consult with an accountant before deciding on the actual ownership structure. Generally speaking, if your portfolio is worth less than a million US dollars or so, the overhead expenses are usually not worth your time. So individual ownership will probably be the way to go. But once more, consult with your accountant. Now, Japan has a tax treaty with most developed countries, which means you're not likely to be double taxed in the vast majority of cases. Your country of residence will most likely deduct the tax amount that you've paid in Japan from your taxable income at home if you provide them with your Japanese tax statement. But again, read up on this as well. Consult with your accountant, not just in Japan, but locally as well, before you start making um, any, any sort of purchases. Uh, Japan doesn't recognize um, fund, NPO, um, self-managed super funds, um, family trusts, or any similar structure. So really the only ownership uh, possible would be individual ownership, which can be uh, single individuals, couples, uh, partners, families, or corporate ownership. That's ownership by an incorporated entity. If you are uh, running a trust fund of some sort and you have some tax benefits back home, uh, if you do purchase investment properties under that trust name, the best solution is to set up a corporation which the trust will then own and have that corporation purchase the property uh, here in Japan. And again, as we've mentioned time and time again, do consult with your accountant to see if the setup costs, management and running costs are worth it for whatever uh, investment budget you've got in mind. That's probably about it for this episode. Hopefully this gives you a better idea of what to expect as far as the numbers are concerned. And until next time, happy investing.